You know, I've had fun the past few weeks with the titles of our messages, and I have from the beginning. I remember one of the first signs, messages I shared, and I put the sign out on the board that said, thanks for nothing. And I bet people are driving by going, what is going on at that church? And we were, I was talking about being thankful when nothing is wrong, right? We always, you know, when God comes in and miraculously saves us, we, you know, we thank you for that. But sometimes, especially when we're parents, right? Thanks for nothing. No one's hurt. No one's sick. You know, thanks for nothing. But I have fun with this. In the last couple of weeks, we've done these messages, more and less, and, and now and later. And today, it's treat yourself. Treat yourself. And for the past two weeks, we've talked about making God more or more of God's presence and a little less of our own. Not, not really that, that we don't matter because we know we do, but his influence in our life must become more, ours become a little less, at least relatively speaking. We've also talked the importance about the work we put in now and what it means later and really what it means forever. And there have been a few common threads in the series. God is creator, provider, and author of our salvation. And the other is you. You have a role and a responsibility in God's work and Jesus' ongoing ministry in the world. So when I say treat yourself, what do you think it means? Take a dose of medication and remedy yourself, right? Treat yourself like a physician would. Treat yourself to some ice cream, right? Let's indulge ourselves a little bit. Perhaps treat yourself well by loving yourself. So what do you think treat yourself? I mean, I believe God would say it's all of the above. I do. And let's see what scripture reveals about this. I'm gonna start with Paul's letter to Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, oops, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this thing, living sacrifice, that means while we go about our day, while we go about our lives, we're going to honor and glorify God. That is how we worship him, by keeping him at the front of our thoughts, taking advantage of the opportunities we're given, and recognizing his presence and work in the world. And we're going to use our bodies and our life in a way that is holy, and we know that means set apart, special, and acceptable to God, which means according to his will and purpose. And I love this reminder also from the Apostle Paul. It's found in 1 Corinthians. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now, we always that, use that as a reminder of, of the spirit that dwells within us. But here's what I love. It says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, right? We were bought with a price, a price on the cross. Living a life honoring God is our response to his gift of love and mercy. This means that we must take care and be prepared physically, mentally, emotionally, and of course, spiritually. God has built this need and this desire in each one of us. You know what you need, and if you decide to forget or ignore that need, your body will remind you. Don't doubt me on this, right? You need sleep. You need a break from stress. You need a healthy outlet for, for your anger and frustration. Your body will react and force you to succumb to its need. You cannot stay awake forever. Even attempting it, is, it will come at peril to your health. If you don't release stress, if you continue to swallow all that down, your stomach will remember, right? Ever bottle up your frustration, resentment? Maybe us guys do this a little more. What happens then? Just one little thing and bam, right? Sure, you get the cathartic release, but beware of the collateral damage as you yell at your dog, your spouse. You throw something. Let's call these things God's circuit breakers by design. But the point isn't to, to get to the very edge and, and rely on that protection. 
My stomach will tell me if I'm overstressed or my blood pressure will tell me if I'm worried too much or, or I'll just fall asleep if I get too tired. Don't wait for that. And certainly don't bypass its safety measures by continually resetting the breakers, by substituting things for, uh, that don't matter for what you really need. Sleep, rest, the ability to cope and rely on God. So when we look at this, I say treating yourself as in a remedy. I say listen to Apostle Paul's instructions found in Philippians 4, 6 or 8. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in, every, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now this is the prescription for this kind of health. Prayer and supplication. And the peace of God, he says, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Now this is the result of taking that prescription. Peace that guards your hearts and your minds. And then he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I'd say this is the prevention to focus on that stuff, to protect yourself from the evil, the discouragement, the, the death by a thousand little cuts. That's the prevention. And sometimes this means taking a break. I mean, Jesus himself had to do this, and he had to prescribe it for his disciples. Luke 5.16 tells us that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, that word desolate, it sounds kind of, I don't know, uh, it just seems dark and, and negative to me. But when I looked at the word desolate in the original Greek language, it means a lonely or uninhabited, basically away from people. Jesus would withdraw to places away from people and pray. Mark 135 says, Then rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed, went out to a desolate, desolate place. He went by a lonely place where he prayed. Why would he go away from people? He loved people. He taught them. He sought to save them. They were his ministry and his purpose. But he did this to take care of himself, to reconnect with his father, and to recharge. How much more do we need to? Right? In the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 6, we read that Jesus recognized that in his disciples as well. Beginning in verse 31, he said, Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Right? They're in the, so busy in the throes of ministry, they just, they're sleeping, they're not eating, but hey, they're doing great stuff. And Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This is a physical rest. But Jesus also taught the need for other kinds of rest that are arguably more important. Listen to the inviting words of Jesus found um, and recorded in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, when you tie yourself to me, when you do my work and you go with me and, and you rest like he does, you go off to, to desolate places and you pray. He says, that burden is so light and you will get rest from all the stuff that you're really tying yourself to that you shouldn't be. And every, everywhere it is spoken, we're called to enter into God's Sabbath rest where we are blessed with restoration and revival. So why is all this important? It's because God loves you and he knows what you need. It's also important because you need to be well, you need to be rested and recharged in order for you to do what you're called to do. And there's a lot of idle work to be done through you for the sake of others, but also for your own health and good. God wants you to be healthy and thrive and enjoy this life. 
but you need to be well rested and charged in order to do some of the other things that, that are to be done. And what are the first instructions you get when you board the plane, right? They're going through all that stuff. But it always says, if the mask drops from the ceiling, what do you do? Put it on yourself before helping another person. That's not because they don't like kids or anything else. But because you cannot help a child or an elderly seatmate or, or anybody else if you yourself are incapacitated, right? Make sure you have your need. Help the other person. So get charged up. Get a dose of fresh oxygen, fresh oxygen by, by going to a desolate place, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And take a deep breath from God's word and through prayer. And then you'll be ready to be the caregiver that the world needs you to be. So treat yourself as a remedy. But, but maybe it's treat yourself as a pampering or an indulgence. Do you remember this, the prayer of Jabez? It's found in 1 Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. It says, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so I will be free from pain. He says, I want, give me stuff and, and keep me healthy. And it says, and God granted his request. Now, this simple passage is the focus of many Bible studies, which seek to answer the question, is it okay to ask for something for yourself? What do you think? Does, does a sovereign God, right? When I say sovereign, I mean, he doesn't have to do anything that, that, that people tell him. Right? He is God. He is over all, knows all, is all everywhere. Does he have to act? He doesn't have to act. But he sometimes chooses to because of in his good loving nature, he will do what is good and right and he wants to bless you. So the model for treating ourselves well is dotted throughout scripture. But we often focus on the parts that speak more about how we're to treat others. And I, I think people generally believe that, that we, have to, we aren't, don't have to be reminded to be nice to each other. Right? It's all more about other people. But I would debate that because I think we are often our toughest critics. We often, even our best days, fail to see ourselves as God does. And I shared a message titled Reflected in Truth. I had to look it up. It was actually August 2020 called Reflected in Truth. And as of last week when I started working on this message, it had been downloaded. I don't know how many times it's been heard, but downloaded through our site 446 times. Okay? Not because it's the world's best sermon, but many people need to be here, a reminder of the truth that is your value to God. Right? It's looking at ourselves and reflecting and seeing ourselves with the truth of who we are and how much value we have to him and to the world around us. There are a few passages just seem to be the go-to verses for weddings. And one is found in the book of Ephesians. And I want to share it with you. I'm going to put it in context and we'll unpack it for a minute. It's Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It goes on, it says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then we get to the part most often here. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay? Love others as yourself. Don't forget yourself. It's not saying more than yourself, different than yourself. 
as yourself, as yourself. You are God's good creation. You are God's good creation. That's how we look at it. That's how we treat each other. So, so we indulge ourselves with good treatment. We indulge ourselves by treating others remarkably well. But on the same token, it's important that you don't deny yourself what you need. While we're preparing for this message, I came across an interesting illustration from USA Today. It said, Tiger Woods may be the most famous person with bad knees, but many Americans struggle with this ailment. It is enough of a problem that according to Sue Kelly of USA Today, 660,000 websites are related to sore knees and how to care for them. They feature exercises and stretches designed to help prevent knee surgery. 660,000, that's a bunch. But here's what's interesting. But not as many devote themselves to the problem, but not as many people read those as devote themselves to the problem of ugly knees. I'm not kidding. There are over 4 million websites where Americans can go to find out about knobby, fat knees. And they're more interested than that, at least by quantity, than preventing serious joint pain, right? We worry about the outside image instead of the, we do. But God has called us to be clean and pure on the inside as we appear on the outside. So, so don't spend too much time dressing up your body. And when, when you treat yourself, it's not about treating yourself. It's treating your whole self. Take care of yourself. Don't neglect yourself, your spirit, your physical needs as well. Treat yourself with real and good care. And lastly, perhaps treat yourself as a, as a reference to the golden rule. Did you know that is actually scriptural? It's not just a saying. Matthew 7, 9 through 12 says, Which of you, if your son asks for bed, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, so we're saying not as, you know, we aren't as, as loving and, and, and uh, unconditional love as God, but says, if we are like this, and we know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those that ask him? It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Then it says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are the rules of the, of the First Testament. And that sentence, does that sound familiar? This sums up the law and the prophets. It's the last line of Matthew 22, 33-37, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the first and greatest is this, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, right? And he says, and the second, you didn't ask me, I'm going to tell you what's second, love others as yourself, right? There it is. And it says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Think about it. If you love God first and foremost, if you love others and you love yourself, you've got everything else comes so much easier. The thou shalt not, the thou shalt's, because you're doing these things. You can't help but love others and treat each other nicely and, and not lie and not cheat and not steal and, and not put others in front of God because you love just like God loves. But whether you're doing something for others or for yourself, who defines what is good or restorative or pampering or indulgent or, or even what is quality, like quality time? It's the recipient, right? I love my daughter. And she was little. We'd have time with dad because I had a daughter and a son. And this was something my dad did with brothers and I. You just had a little bit of time each week that was just yours to do whatever. If I picked what we were doing, that might seem like fun, fun and quality time to me, but not for Aubrey. Okay? If she wanted to color and that wasn't my thing, then it wouldn't be quality time. It was her who determined what's good and quality. 
So when you want to care for someone else above and beyond or care for yourself, you define what it is that treating yourself looks and feels like. There's a book called The Five Love Languages. It's well known. There's another one called His Needs and Her Needs. And both these are the same premise, that everybody has a certain number of emotional (laughs) needs that need to be met. For some, it's physical affection. Some, it's um, acts of service. Some, it's word of affirmation. You might recognize these, and everybody has them in different orders. And if mine is words of affirmation or recreational companionship, and, and your Sherry's is acts of service, she might show love for me by doing the dishes and laundry, right? And that's how she loves me. And I love her by saying thank you and, and kind touches and, and, and spending time together. But they may not sync up all the time, right? This is some of the, the big, well, the underlying problem to a lot of marriages and relationships in general, right? We want to love others the way we want them to love us, but it doesn't always work that way. So when you're considering how to take care of others and treat them well and show them love and attention, you almost have to speak in their love language, and that doesn't always, isn't always obvious, right? That isn't always obvious what that needs to be. Just be aware of that. But let me ask you this under that same notion. What do you consider self-care? I, I stay extremely busy, probably too busy. And, and a lot of times um, people say, well, what are you going to do in retirement? Or why, you know, you're so busy. How do you have time to do this stuff? But I get to do the stuff I want to do, right? What is, what is it you would want to do with your free time if you could afford to do anything at all? I would love to work for God, right? I would love to do that full-time, and, and, and I get to do that really full-time. I have a Monday through Friday, but I don't consider this a part-time job. We have midweek Bible studies and, and pastoral alliances and conferences and the phone calls and emails we can share. I'm not begrudging all. I love it. I get to do that now. So when people say, you're too busy, I say, with the stuff I love, because I work really hard so I can do the fun stuff. Fun for me is this, okay? I'd much rather do this than, I'm sorry, I'm not a gardener. I don't want to hurt feelings. I'm not a gardener. That that doesn't bring me joy at all. Um, But that's yours, right? So, so, you know, you see me on Saturday scurrying around or staying up late working on something for school or for here or for anything else. Um, I'm doing what I love. That's what care looks like for me. But sometimes treating yourself won't be viewed favorably by others. In fact, it may be judged. But listen to some examples from Scripture of how Daniel and David responded to critics. First, a little backstory on Daniel. It's from the First Testament book bearing his name. So Daniel 1, I'm going to start at verse 3. I'm going to throw some names out here. I'm going to say them fast so I may get them wrong. But the king ordered Asphanaz, who is the chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. These were young men without any physical defect. They were handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So we said, we just overtook the Israelite people. We're going to go and find the young men that are good-looking, smart, and intelligent, and all this, and we're going to pull them aside. And it says, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his own table. So this, he was treating them. I'm going to... I'm going to, yes, I'm going to conscript you into my service, but you're going to get the best food, the best wine, and all this stuff. And they were to be trained for three years, and they were to enter the king's service. Skipping ahead to Daniel 1.8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank, because Daniel had beliefs that were based on God's instructions to the Israelites. And yes, this was a wonderful perk of the world, the king's food and the king's wine, but he goes, that's not what I believe is right. 
And it said Daniel had to ask the eunuch for permission to pass on the special treatment and gift that was also royal decree, which was to eat from the table. He had to ask for permission because that was looked down upon. It was disobedient. He actually could have gotten in big trouble for not taking this blessing or bonus. But that was not what he believed to be right and good. And the story I want to share from David's life is found in 1 Samuel 30. It's titled, David Destroys the Amalekites. But the point I want to make is more about what happens at the brook of Besor Valley. So I'm going to read. It says, David and his men, they reached Ziklag on the third day. And, and it had already been raided, and everything was destroyed, and all their possessions were gone. Their wives were gone. Their kids were gone. Everything had been taken, absolutely taken. And it says, everyone was greatly distressed. Um, and then the men were talking about stoning him. They're like, you let us, and look what happened while we were gone. So each one of them was very bitter, it says, in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord as God. So David and 600 men with, with them came to Besor Valley, where some of them stayed behind. It says 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued to pursue. So keep this in mind. 600, a third of them stayed behind. We're, we're too tired to go. We need rest. Skipping ahead to verse 18. David recovered everything from Malachites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder, or anything else that had been taken. Literally everything was recaptured. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead another life sex saying, this is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and were left behind in the Besor Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers, so part of the 400, said, because they did not go out with us, they will not share the plunder. We recovered. Now keep in mind, this was their stuff to begin with, right? It was their stuff that was stolen by the Amalekites. And he, and, he, and he stole it back, got it back. And he said, you don't deserve it. You didn't go. You were too tired to go help. He says, however, each man can have his wife and children and go. And David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered us in the hands of the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? That share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this a statute, an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. He recognized that God had delivered them and God had protected them and protected the men who stayed behind that needed to treat themselves. Now, do we know, were they lying? Were they exaggerating so they didn't have to go fight a battle? I don't know. But scripture says they were too tired to continue and they got their rest. And David said, that's okay. They were taking care of themselves, and they were taking our stuff while we are gone. Now, God, your creator, your provider, your sustainer, the author of salvation, he hears you, he knows you, he knows what you need. And time after time, the psalmist, these, these beautiful lyrics and these poems, they, they sing God's praises over this truth of what God knows, that what we need and takes care of it. And they all seem to have this cycle. Psalm 4, it starts, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Right? This is addressing God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And he goes into the prayer. And he's talking about, this is David, he's talking about the stuff that's going on, the people rising up against him. But it very quickly comes to verse 8. And it says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Lord, hear my prayer. Here's my prayer. And he responds with confidence. Likewise in Psalm 62. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And then again, he talks about his request. 
Verse five, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. God knows what you need and he provides it. So why is all this important? Why do we need to treat ourselves and know what all that includes? Because God loves you and he wants you to love yourself. God cares for you and about you and he wants you to care for and about yourself. And how do we show love for God in return? There are tons of ways to show love for God. But one of the most important is that we love ourselves as God loves us. He bought you with a price at a price, the ultimate price. How much more value can there be in that? So I want to challenge you to do something this week. Take care of yourself. I have one of my professors in seminary right now, and she says at the end of her lecture, she always signs up, do something for yourself this week. Don't forgo your own needs. And that's such a good reminder. So I want to challenge you to do something this week to take care of yourself, to treat yourself. And if you anticipate struggling with this and if, because you have trouble accepting that you are deserving of care or a break or time off or over this, if you don't know how to treat yourself by way of doing what you need to do or to take care of yourself or if you're having trouble finding a healthy balance between caring for others and caring for yourself, right? Where are you in the 600? Do I need to go on and fight or do I need to take a, a moment's break? If that's you want to hear from me and here's why. It's not because I have all the answers, because this is going to be a challenge for me as well. But if you need someone to come alongside you this week in this mission, let's partner on this quest to find out the answers and directions we need to get ourselves revitalized, restored, and ready to do what needs to be done. Would you join me? Let's make that our prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, when we say we need to treat ourselves, we're not talking about an overindulgence that we deserve something that we just we work so hard that we just need we need to treat ourselves but that that is what you're saying you're saying you're my child treat yourself take care of yourself give yourself what you need and and god you say i know what that is you need rest and you need peace and you need comfort and you need hope and you say i can provide all those to you so lord let us take the refuge in that just as the psalmist wrote that we can address you and then lay out before you all of our problems, which you already know, all of our fears, our worries. And, and then we can rest, take refuge in that, knowing that you are our rock, our fortress. And for that, we can never be shaken. Lord, as we treat ourselves by, by doing nice things for ourselves and nice things for others, you, you, you tell us to do that to show respect for our spouses, our friends, our family, those around us, even strangers, even those that we, by our own definition, think are unlovable. But we are to love them as we love ourselves. And that's really two ways. We need to love them a whole bunch and we need to make sure we're still loving and caring for ourselves. And Lord, we just thank you for that. That you care so much about us that you sit down and you write down rules and say, listen, child, you got to do this. you got to take care of yourself. I designed you that way. If you want to love me, then take care of yourself so you can love me from a healthy perspective. God, we thank you for that. You put such an awesome mission before us. Jesus came and, and went about his work and, and he left this planet and he, and he sits at your right hand and he says, go and, and continue my work in the world. 
these opportunities we get to talk to coworkers when we're on vacation, when we're just in the community, just when we need to remind ourselves of, of who you are and how good you are. And we get to put in our own words why we know that to be true. Lord, what a blessing. So as we take this challenge to just do something for ourselves this week, would you remind us that we are completely deserving of this kind of love, care, and attention. It's what you wish for us in this life of abundant that you've called us to. Lord, I thank you for that reminder. May we be changed for what we've heard. And Lord, may you send us forth to make a difference in the world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.